flying 100 miles per hour, the ton down the coast of Highway 101 through the Ho Rainforest on bikes held together with nothing more than determination. The Ton is a Pacific Northwest motorcycle and lifestyle magazine created by motorcycle, tattoo, and rock and roll enthusiasts huddled in the rainiest drenched stretches of highways in the world. You can find more about The Ton and purchase a copy at thetonmag.com or on Instagram at thetonmag. That's T-H-E-T-O-N-M-A-G. On with the show. Hi, welcome back to Low Profile. Uh, I'm here now with a room full of guests. And uh, we all have one thing in common right now. We're all sitting around a table wearing headphones. And uh, there's some Gary Wilson fans in the mix. And we're all dead. <laughs> By the time you read this, listen to it. Uh, roll call. Hi, I'm Leela. I'm Andrew. Susan. Timothy. I'm Markley still. And uh, yeah, How, Leela, you gave me a Gary Wilson record back in... Uh, Twelve years plus, ago, yeah. yeah. I had heard his first album, "You Think You Really Know Me," and then you had "Mary Had Brown Hair." Yes, and he loaned it to me with like um, almost like a death threat. Oh yeah, that sounds like me. Because <laughs> uh, anyway, I gave it back, but it was hard. Yeah. And then you lent me, you lent me an album. I, I can't remember which one it was. Uh, do you remember? It probably wasn't as good. It was. It was good. I. I did. Did I give it back to you? <laughs> I, just, I don't know if I did. I, I'll check when okay. I get home. He didn't punctuate it with a death threat. <laughs> yeah. That was his problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um. How did you? How did you come to find the? Uh, the Gary Wilson. The Gary Wilson way. Um, yeah. My friend Leah Sapola here in Olympia played Gary's in the Park for me, showed me the video, and uh, something clicked in my brain. I, I, I saw a common language of weirdness. That, that song uh, really struck me, too. It's, um, it's a weird one. Yeah. I, I, I just had not heard anything like it, and um, I'm going to probably play it later. Um, like, it'll probably be playing right now, <laughs> 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 because I, I don't have any bars, but I have a bunch of other stuff queued up. Um, what, it, Tim, Susan, you, you guys have some kind of uh, <laughs> Gary, Gary Wilson thing yeah well um gary wilson thing so when i moved to new york um there was a website called makeout club that was pretty popular and it had i was on makeout just club. started about then uh, in the early days so it was like really simple like your photo and then what kind of music you liked 
And Susan was on it as well. I was. And she listed Gary Wilson. And I think you listed your AIM, your AOL instant messenger name on it. And I like. Showing our age. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you like Gary Wilson. Cool. (laughs) And then he didn't like write to me again for like a month or whatever. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I I was on Make Out Club because I, you know, I grew up in the New York hardcore scene and punk scene and it was also insular and I was, and I also listened to other stuff. So trying to meet other people who listen to other things and shortly before I started that um, profile, I had a roommate who was an avid record collector and he always tried to play stuff to kind of blow my mind and he put on the Gary Wilson record, dropped the needle, you know, that record starts out a little quiet, kind of wavy and then it was just like, what the hell? I felt like I climbed into the mind of a stalker, <laughs> you know, but kind of a benign one that won't hurt you, but just kind of, you know, looks at you from afar and, you know, so, so I was like, I, I had very specific um, parameters for kind of what I was looking for. I needed someone who's a record nerd who, who had at least 500 records, who had really good taste in music, and I was like, I know how to snare. <laughs> you know, the right kind of guy. And so I put Gary Wilson because I was obsessed with that record. Like when my roommate was out, I would steal it from his room and like play it over and over again. Um, and so that was my like bait to find him, wow. <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and that, I mean, that was uh, 19 years ago. Yeah. Or so. Yeah, early aughts. Just right there at the <laughs> millennium. Yeah. yeah. Back yeah. in the oddies. Oh. <laughs> This is a uh, from that album in the midnight hour. When I wake up, you always on my mind. Yeah, my fingers start to tremble, I feel weak, I wish I never fell in love with someone who can make me feel like someone, you seem to think I'd waste your time, I think about you, and all the things that we did, yeah, said it now, think about, think about you, Oh, yeah. So that's actually that's from Forgotten Lovers, which is the singles. Not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, we have um, Chromium Bitch and uh, we have a bunch of the singles. <clears throat> so I found Gary Wilson. I was DJing at Chaos. And uh, back then, the records were right behind the booth. Mm-hmm. And you can just go peruse. And it was like the weirdest looking record stuck in the punk section for some reason okay and then i played uh, a random song i can't even remember which one it is now to be honest and then i was kind of obsessed and um it was really hard to find a copy of that record then like there's probably only 300 of them pressed two different times so 600 in circulation um so it was it was like an obsessive search and then um i started talking about it and i realized that like all the old chaos DJs, like from the 70s and 80s, like um, Foster and, and Roll, the people who do Mix 96 now, mm-hmm. and uh, Matt Grenning were like super obsessive about it too. 
Um, and they had brought him to Olympia to perform. Um, so it was kind of this weird thing. And then the New York Times um, ran this um, piece. Um, Neil Strauss, who was a really great writer before he became a pretty trashy writer, did this really great article about it. And so like all this stuff started happening and then Motel Records did the reissue. And that's why I put like on the profile, I really like Gary Wilson. Because <laughs> it was like a real like feverish obsession <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And there wasn't really anything like it musically. Like now I think people hearing this will like be like, oh, it sounds like Ariel Pink or something like that. Like there's a lot of things that are derivative of it, mm -hmm. but it's pretty singular in its thing. And it was like really hard to find information, especially in the, um, the way the internet was then. Yeah. I know, uh, I don't know if you guys know Dame Funk, but he's a, he's another guy who I guess is big on Gary Wilson. Mm -hmm. And I think he might have something to do with Stone's Throw having oh, yeah. released some stuff. Like yeah, that second record, or that, that. Uh, brown hair, yeah. Mm -hmm. and some singles and stuff. This is from that, uh, well, I know that this is on uh, Mary Had Brown Hair, and uh, also came out as a single. I got the 12-inch of it. Um, a lot different from that last song, and this one's called Newark Valley. Like this is the perfect music to like find a parking lot and just drive around <laughs> doing donuts <laughs> like as fast as you can. <laughs> if you just gotta like let off some steam or something, you know that's that's one way to do it without hurting anyone as long as you're really careful. Little Gary Wilson therapy. Yeah. Uh, so another another piece of uh, therapeutic advice here on the show. The, the cover of this record is really stark. It's like just black and white, the 12 inch uh -huh. of it. Yeah. And that's what I think is really attractive about him also is his presentation has been really idiosyncratic. If you look at the first album, like you wonder what the hell it is. Like it doesn't fit in with any kind of visual lexicon of what's going on. Yeah. And then once he kind of creates the character and develops it, like all the packaging is really singular. Yeah, he, well, he packages himself, literally. literally. <laughs> um, we talk about we talk about that a little bit. H has anyone seen him live before? No. No, I think we had a chance to see him, and then like. Was that the North Six show? Yeah, it was like at North yeah. Six, and um, I can't remember what the circumstance was. Maybe it was like really crappy weather or something yeah, like something that. Stupid. Yeah. But um, yeah, we ended up not going. And then now we see video of it, and we're, we kick ourselves over and over yeah. for missing it. Yeah, totally missed out there. <laughs> yeah, I heard that he was pretty mind-boggling when he came to Olympia. In the, I guess it was like 1980. Yeah. I have, I've heard a few different conflicting what year it was, but... Yeah, I, I have that, too. That's not important, really. Yeah, I've heard 78 a few times. Mm-hmm. I've heard 82. Oh, okay. 
I've heard 78. Yeah. So but. there's a four-year window where he he, was here. he made it to Olympia. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, 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 I know he passed through because this was like chaos here. It was the only station playing his record. Um, and so people came because they'd actually heard of him. Yeah. Um, I worked at CBGB for a long time, and, um, you know, he infamously played there to no one, pretty much, and was asked to never come back. Wow. And then he came back. <laughs> Didn't Suicide do that, too? Uh, I think, I mean, from talking to Hilly, Suicide was more of a Max's Kansas City band. Uh-huh. Um, they may have played CBs, but, like, they did regular Max's shows. I know they made people really angry. Oh, God. Yeah, well, I mean, they're scary. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he he felt welcomed here. Like, people were, I guess they were kind of put off by it, but they were like, ooh, do your thing. (laughs) (laughs) Why why do you think people in Olympia gravitated to it? God, I, I don't know why here, but I'm glad it happened because the influence is, like, stuck around at least to where you know people keep pushing the music forward um i know i know like you know young like early 20s kids who are digging on it and like just discovering it um it must be it's the water i don't know much about what was going on in olympia at that time was there any avant-garde stuff going on at all I mean, it was like before the punk bands started, there was a couple small punk bands, but really the radio station, what John Foster was doing with requiring independent play and everything was really avant-garde in its own right, and in fact became a model for college radio all over the country. And they were bringing in like big players in independent music to the radio station, like Carla Bly's jazz stuff, which... Um, really wasn't being done other places Um, but at the same time the younger people in town were the people who ended up creating a musical subculture in Olympia that still exists now and you know some of the music is pretty primitive which is interesting because Gary's music is almost the exact opposite while it's it's disjointed and odd it's actually very complex Um, as far as the time signatures and the musicianship. Yeah, and he's, you know, he, he plays, I think, a regular weekend gig in San Diego of doing just kind of like jazz standards and um, kind of kind of a lounge act, which totally makes sense. And uh, Well, apparently his dad did a lounge act when he was growing up, too, so he probably was influenced by that also in a weird way. I find that really interesting that he kind of carried that on doing kind of that standard stuff but then doing all this weird (laughs) weird stuff on his own too it's really interesting yeah well like i i don't know like i know he kind of works with uh like his stage persona Mm -hmm. um the way he gets made up for that is just i i mean it seems to me that it must be like fairly random he's got like an arsenal of things he could throw out throw together an outfit with 
but he doesn't necessarily have to have all of them. Yeah. Just like whatever he can come up with. Yeah. Uh, I always wondered, <clears throat> not not knowing a lot about how his uh, albums are put together, but um, is he a uh, the front man of some other musicians, or is he a uh, more of a one man show? kind of doing it all uh, and recording it himself that way. Well, oh, he's, I know he's got his Indicate boys, the Blind Dates, um, and they m- moved out from New York City, or not in, from Indicate, New York. They moved to San Diego and um, continued playing with him there. So, And then live, he's a frontman persona, but... I mean, there's something about the music of the, the later, like the stuff after the, like, rediscovery, mm-hmm. that the way it's recorded, it sounds like one person recording it. And and the reason I say that is, like, there's certain artists, like even Prince, where you, you could tell the way they syncopate to each other, that they're recording to their own um, way of playing, because the way that you do rhythm is pretty similar. When you have multiple people recording it, there's a little bit of air that it creates that's not there when you do it all yourself right yeah it's kind of like he's got these building blocks that he likes to use and um yeah. just kind of switches them around like I, i've noticed a lot of um similar motifs in the songs um i i had a uh had a little laugh because I was listening to a song from um, Electric Indicate and then I kind of randomly picked a song from his uh, Christmas with Gary Wilson album and I they had this, the same intro yeah well that song King of Indicate sounds so similar to other things he's done like in different spots like the, the verse structure is the same as um one of the Linda songs from the Mary record, and then the chorus structure is really similar to another song. So he's just kind of switching these structures he's using around. Yeah, I'm gonna play some of that because that just came out. He's promoting it. This is the title track from the King of Endicott. idea of like taking someone to your high school on a Friday night that's <laughs> 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 uh, hard to get my head around that's what I love about this guy he just he says whatever he he says it like it is you know <laughs> <laughs> you know he, you don't have to ask him why but 
but we're going to. And I ask, what, what the hell are you talking about, Gary? Cause I see you have a running tally of, of reoccurring themes. Right? So, he, um, he sings about Gary a lot. Um, I, I took a tally going through his track listings and basically just looked for proper nouns, for names. And uh, names referenced in the title. It'd be a much longer list if it was going through all the lyrics. Oh, yeah. But just with the titles, um, he's got eight songs about Gary, such as, like, Gary fell in love with Linda last night. Which brings us to Linda, who has seven songs um, about her. Uh, Close second is Mary, coming in at six. Um, I, I couldn't find the song. I guess it isn't the name of the song, but I really like the one where he's asking Mary to come and dance with Linda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mary, won't you dance with Linda tonight? There's no one here to say I'm weird. We can all there's nothing right Cause Mary, she's so out of sight Don't you dance Come on with Linda <laughs> The characters meet I know, it's great It's like a soap opera, sort of, when you listen to his stuff It's just like you hear all these same characters mm-hmm. Yeah keep, keep coming back And um, and then his blind dates, bandmates Um they work their way into the drama sometimes. Mm-hmm. How many Cindy's are there? There's only two Cindy's. By, um, t- by title. By title. Okay. There's also two uh, Lou Jean titles and two uh, Sandy titles. Mm-hmm. And then when we get... Oh, and Karen. Don't oh, forget yeah. about yeah, Karen. Yeah. Can't forget about Karen. <laughs> Karen's the kind of name that you, you say to someone like when they're really rude. Like, even if you're not Karen, like, if someone says something's really rude, you're like, yeah, Karen. I'm going to try that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Whatever, Karen. So uh, those those are all the ones with multiple song titles. And then uh, we have songs about uh, Lisa, Cheryl, Kathy, Debbie, who kind of counts twice because her song is called Debbie Debbie. Uh, Would that be Debbie Squared? That would, it might be, or, <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, what's interesting is uh, you were talking about how he has a set of accessories that he likes to use, and then he has a set of, like, themes musically he likes to use, and then he has these set of people that he likes to use. It's really interesting. He puts parameters around what he's doing. It's like a world that he's built of all these parts that he mixes and matches. Yeah, it's like all these circles that cross over. yeah. He's a very circular person. Yeah. Wait, are these people, I thought that these were his girlfriends or something. I don't know. And that he was writing these like, songs about it or something like that. Yeah. See, in my true. mind, he's like this like weird stalker who has all these women that he like, like lovingly looks at from afar mm-hmm. and makes up stories in his head about the relationships that they do and don't have. Right. About Gary... The character. Yeah, exactly. And his um, 
earlier. fictionalized version of these people. Yeah, who, uh, yeah I, I would believe that these are all very real people. That yeah, see, that he but, may or may not know. <laughs> right. Now, earlier today, um, I was watching, or I was listening to a Gary Wilson song on YouTube, and it had, in the classic fashion, uh, a picture of him and, mm-hmm. you know, some people around him. And they were all of these women wearing shirts with the names on them. I thought that <coughs> that he got them all together for a photo shoot and uh, had these shirts made with their names on them. But now that I'm hearing you guys talk, it sounds more like this was just kind of a staged sort of event. Yeah, just photo op kind of weird thing. Yeah. I, I think so. There, there was a music video. Did anybody see that where it had him and then all these women wearing all the different names Supermodel of these looking. characters. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was it. Yeah. Picture from that. Yeah, th- it it made an album cover too. I think Gary on Friday night. Friday night with Gary Wilson. Something like that. Sounds like a blast. Yeah. Yeah. And then Gary Wilson went to outer space too. I don't know if anyone heard that album. I haven't heard or, that one. I think missed that one. Let's go to outer space. Oh shoot! Is this chair breaking on me? It might be. It was found in front of a restaurant that was getting rid of it. Uh, I'm not going to lean back anymore. There's a. There's another one. There. Oh, that's cool. I'm just not going to lean back. It's fine. Did anybody happen to watch that documentary? We watched. We used to own it. Oh. Okay. Um, another odd obsession was Plexifilm, the company. Like. Mm-hmm. Everything they put out, we bought. <laughs> so it was like this weird uh, crossover. crossover, yeah. Well, I really liked in that movie they had a lot of footage of him with his pet duck. <laughs> that he would just walk his duck around town on Friday night, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, would you expect anything yeah, less? That's Debbie. What's the duck's name? You think it's Debbie? <gasps> Uh-oh. You, now you got to ask what the duck's name was. Yeah. We're, yeah. Or is the duck's name Linda? Because that would really clear up. Like, that like song when he's one. so mad at Frank. Like, you were kissing Linda! I <laughs> 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 saw you kissing Linda! Frank Roma! <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then what's up with Frank? Frank is uh, one of his... No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm saying if he's kissing a pet he's duck. He's kissing Gary's pet duck, yeah. <laughs> I could really understand having to write a song about that. Seriously. Um, here's a song Gary wrote about his duck. There, here it is. It's, 
really interesting how he started when he when he sort of had his resurgence or whatever you know he, he took off like 25 plus years yeah. from recording and then he comes back full force ready to just make a million more albums gets more into his like character and that whole world seems like it might have been sort of the birth of that being becoming like a big world to him i guess yeah i mean there's a weird like mid period though too like there's the stuff in the mid 90s that he was doing which were like just experimental jams is that like music for piano yeah and music for drums and stuff like that i didn't know about music for and uh and he was doing like video art with it too oh wow so i mean I, see, I didn't know that. So it's like one of those, like, what was your impetus to start doing it again? Mm-hmm. And then why do you stop and then start again, like another 10 to 15 years later again? And why are you doing so much pitch shifting on the voices all of a sudden? Yeah, there's a lot more of that. A lot more. Um, I think maybe we'll give this guy a call and find out what the hell's going on around here. <laughs> Markley, what's going on there? Hey, Gary. Good to hear you. Great. Yes. Well, uh, okay, so I'm here with uh, some friends. There's Tim and Susan, who uh, they actually uh, met because they were both fans of yours. That's true. Well, well uh, pretty Tell them congratulations, and I hope it all works out for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it has so far. And then um, Andrew and Leela. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and uh, yeah, we all have taken an interest in you. So uh, I guess first, uh, tell me about Electric Endicott and uh, how, how that came about. Well, uh, if you... Probably, I don't know, you know, when I really look back at it, and I probably haven't spoke much about this, but, you know, probably 10, 12, 15 years ago, I had one of the most vivid dreams I ever had, I think, in my life. And, you know, I don't know if it had any relationship to this album coming out, but uh, it seemed like it was some town, uh, Endicott, Ithaca, somewhere up in that area in, in in upstate New York. It was like during those medieval days of uh, 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 dwarfs and, you know, and uh, castles. And I remember I woke up and I, 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 I wrote it down because sometimes I forget a lot of my big dreams. And then, you know. But anyway, I don't know if that was a turning point of it all because it came back to me later on as the land, Endicott being where I was born and raised. My first 24 years in IndyCar, so I do have a lot of fond memories of IndyCar. So I think it came out in this particular album, anyway. Yeah, it's it's definitely a familiar trope that I I'm not sure I would have heard of IndyCar uh, had it not been for all your references. I, I think I I accidentally said Electric IndyCar, which yeah was quite a while back, you're, you're promoting King of Endicott. 
Yeah, right. Electric IndyCar was a. 2010, but uh, you're up in Olympia? Is that where you're, you're calling Yeah, from? yeah, that's where we're calling well, from, you know, right downtown. You know, you know, well, well, that's great. You know, Olympia, uh, you know, reminded me, you know, kind of Endicott in a sense. You know, rains a lot, a lot of woods being upstate, you know. Uh, so, you know, I was in Olympia, right? You know. Yeah, yeah, I guess uh, your, your uh, singles were a big hit up here. Um, and someone even made a zine about you? Yeah, well, you know, I got to spend, you know, I guess I don't know. I went up there with my girlfriend at the time, and the DJs at uh, Chaos Radio at, at that time, plus I think there were students there at Evergreen, um, you know, uh, Steve Fisk, and uh, uh, if I can remember, Steve Foster, I think. And there was a group of the guys back then. But anyway, they backed me, but, you know, I stayed at a house that they had been renting in Olympia. So, yeah, but, you know, it, it was funny because it, I think it, I spent, like, I don't know, maybe a week at the house and stuff. And, and you know, they were saying, yeah, this, oh, wow. this house is thought to be haunted here, you know. And, uh-huh. and I remember going to some Chinese restaurant up downtown there. Yeah, but it rained. I remember it rained almost every day and stuff. And I thought, well, it's kind of like Endicott. You know, we were lucky to get two days and one day of sun if that was if we were lucky. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's About cool. How long, anyway. how long ago was that? How long did I live where? Oh, no. In uh, when did you come to Olympia? Oh, I think it was like 1982, maybe 1981. All right, <laughs> we've narrowing it down. Yeah, we've been narrowing down this four window gap, four year window where uh, you came. We, we've been hearing everywhere from 78 to 82. So, yeah, somewhere in that area, I, I can't exactly remember. But. All right, all right. <laughs> did you did you perform on the radio or did you perform in a venue? Yeah, it was, uh, I believe it was like for their radio station at Evergreen, because I think, you know, those guys were DJs at the time there, so they were doing a benefit for um, Chaos Radio, I guess, did. So they set up two shows, one was going to be down at Chaos Radio, and then there was another benefit for a radio station in Seattle called Crab, K-R-A-B, with uh, Steve Rabel. At the time, I was the DJ. Anyway, so yeah, so then the band backed me there in Olympia, and and so we did two shows, and uh, uh, I think I don't know. I I was just reading a review. It's funny because uh, recently I found a whole bunch of stuff that I hadn't seen in twenty years or something. And I, mm-hmm. I found some of the stuff from Olympia, actually. Op magazine, OP. Was oh yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah, so those guys were, you know, they were big supporters of mine from, you know, like, 77, 78 and stuff and all that. But anyway, so I found a bunch of stuff, and, and you know, I saw that I think one of your guys up there from K-Records, like Calvin Johnson, I, I think, at, at the time, he was a young kid or something, I don't know, he had a band, and they, men- they mentioned him in the, the write-up of the the show I remember because it was like three or four bands at the time but anyways that goes back yeah Calvin's still in business over here I uh 
I actually talked to him uh, about your visit, and he put me in touch with a couple of the guys who uh, put that show together. Oh, yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, good. so I got well, some... Tell him, tell, tell him I said hello when you, when you talked to him. I will. They'll be happy. They were... I, I caught them both off guard because I, I called them out of the blue, and they were like, oh, that depends who's <laughs> asking. And I'm like, well, I, I just wanted to know about Gary Wilson. And they're like, oh, Gary, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, that's so cool, that's cool. You're remembered fondly around here, and uh, I don't know. I feel like your music just keeps getting upcycled, you know, at least regionally, but I know it's happening all over the world and has been for a while. You, you've you done an extensive amount of touring internationally, haven't you? And since you've uh, since you're ended your 25-year recording hiatus, or...? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I always call it my resurrection. You know, I, uh, uh-huh. you know, I always, uh, you know, I, 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 and that all happened. You know, it's a, it's a funny story. Not even goes, but connects you guys a little bit up in that area. But uh, around 1997, when Beck had did, Beck did the Odelay album, uh, a couple guys from Olympia. Uh, they had a, I don't know what their name's, Dave Raw, maybe Dave Raw, uh-huh. had the radio station, I guess, and, and or something. And anyways, uh, they wanted to re-release. You think you really know me at that time in 1997? So they came down from Olympia and, and that area and, and um, took my master tapes, and we're going to re-release the album, but it. It never occurred, you know, and it was re-released in 2002 and uh, it was a different label in New York. But, but yeah, yeah, those guys came down, I remember, and they were all sick. I guess they went to see a back concert and he was doing 6.4 or something. Oh, so wow. they got all they got all excited about bringing, you know, resurrect. And these are, you know, some of the same guys that were part of that, you know, when I did the show somehow. They were all connected I think, some, in some way. So, uh, Gary, I also wanted to ask you about your pet duck. Oh, yeah, no. Don't make me sad now. Um, well, what was, what was your duck's name? Well, one was named Yogi, one was named Ducky Doo, um, and I had a couple other ones, but I have forgot their names, actually, but those two were the ones that stood out more. Yeah. And that's a story, that's a story of being out in the woods you might relate to. I don't know if they still even do it, but. When we were younger, Easter time, the five and dime stores would sell ducks and chickens. Yeah. Baby ones, though. They would actually have baby ducks and baby chickens for Easter time. Mm-hmm. And, and they would actually color the chickens yellow, green, blue, red. They did, I don't think they could ever do that again. But no, I remember that happening when I was little, and I don't, I don't think you, they do. Could you do remember it. that? Yeah, they yeah. they were doing that still in the eighties, anyway. Is that right? Is that yeah. right? But, but anyway, that's where my ducks would come from, and oh. and it was still cold, you know, during that time, you know. So I we kept them in the basement of our house, you know. I had like a refrigerator box where I would keep them. And then by the time when spring and summer would start popping up and it'd get warmer, you know, uh, like we, we'd come out and he lived around the, you know, in the garage and stuff around the house. And, but yeah, they were my good pets. They always reminded me of 
like baby dinosaurs or little <laughs> miniature dinosaurs <laughs> running around. That seems accurate. Yeah. You haven't had any ducks in uh, San Diego? No, no. I always thought if I uh, ever did a, you know, had a place where I could put like a pond or something, I would probably get some. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, they were they're good little things, you know. Yeah, I only ever had one friend growing up who had a pet duck, um, and her name's Steffi, and you played at her thirtieth birthday party. You did or we did? You did. Oh, is that right? Yeah, somewhere in LA. I, I she made a she made a wish and someone made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great that's a good story. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, and I one of my favorite songs was always uh, "Where Where Did My Duck Go?" Um, ever since oh, I yeah, heard it, yeah. um, <laughs> always reminded me of her. And then when I found out about that coincidence that. She had somehow wrangled you into player party, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, stuff. The, the one sad story about the duck would be that, yeah, well, a couple of times, I, I remember, well, not a couple of times, but I remember I had to rescue my duck. I remember a German shepherd got a hold of one of my ducks, started dragging them down the street in Vermont Avenue, right? And, uh, you know, I remember waking up because there was a big ruckus with the duck there and whacking up it. And I went, ran down there and rescued him from the duck. And I mean, you know, I think he was in shock, but then he recouped and, you know, came back. But yeah, he, we used to go for walks over the hill, over the, you know, the, into the creek where the creek would be over there, you know, go through the woods. But, you know, he, he, you know they'd follow me around and, yeah, they were good little ducks. But anyway, yeah, that's, we're back to the duck. Yeah. <laughs> well, from there, I'd like to transition into duck tape. You, duct tape. Yeah, there you go. You use a lot of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always been a staple in my. Uh, that's just kind of cool, you know. I got these guys, uh, the Blind Dates, kind of a, uh, the newer band of the Blind Dates down here in San Diego, and uh, you know they really get into the duct tape. I'm always got to warn them a few times, you know, because you know over the years I've kind of I've known certain restrictions. With, being able to perform, you know, because I go way back with duct tape. I remember when I was doing, uh, when I was doing my kind of my jazz album back when I was 18 or 19, I remember. And I, would that be another would, galaxy? Yeah, yeah. So I did like experimental stuff where I would duct tape myself in, right onto the string bass somehow. And so it really, really like restricted me from freaking playing. But that added to the element of, uh, you know, how to bowl while you're, you know, totally duct taped up. But anyway, yeah, so it goes back into, yeah, and my band really gets into it sometimes. Like, I say, well, be careful. You know, you want to still be able to play if possible. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there, I know of very much jazz that uh, incorporates performance art. And, um, you know, I, I feel like it really does come across on the record, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, I think probably more so, I think the environment of the one album I did called Music for Piano, that was on Feeding Tube Records, I think there, that was a more uh, version of, you know, the, what 
I was more into at that time, in a sense. You know, I was getting more into the more... I was always looking for the most extreme art that I could find at the time when I was growing up. And that so, that was recorded before your sort of rebirth? You're, you're talking about another galaxy right Oh, now. okay. Well, I was, well, I was actually, thinking of music another, for piano. When, when yeah, well, that was taped, you know, shortly after I graduated from high school. You know, that was a, that was one where we actually had a, had a, 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 a certain, you know, the, the main track, music for piano, was mostly recorded at, but most of that was recorded at the time, the string bass solo and all that. It was during, you know, sort of, it's a funny story. My guy that I grew up with, you know, he's been in all my original bands, Vince Rossi. Um, he, uh, he became a piano technician, tuner technician, you know, I went to school for it and all that. But his basement was filled with pianos. He would resurrect them and sell them, resell them. So how that music for piano came about is we actually smashed a couple of his pianos down in his basement because he, he needed to make space or something, and these weren't usable anymore, I guess. I still remember, and the fidelity of music for piano, that particular, you know, the, 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 that one side that's music for piano, I could never recreate the fidelity that I got on that. I, I always tell people that, that it was one of those things that just it went from a whisper to a smash. <clears throat> and it, it captured it all with like a, I had like a $99 Sony reel-to-reel mono tape recorder and a, probably a $79 microphone that was taped to the soundboard of the, the piano. But it just ca- captured the dynamics. Uh, and I tried, believe me, I tried a few more times down in the bass kind of fences. We could never, I could, I could never create the fidelity of it for some reason. But anyway, that was during that real kind of, I was looking for experimental music. I was in the John Cage. I was into all kinds of stuff. I mean, I still actually I did a version of music piano just about two months ago in San Diego. Oh wow! Where I, I had two um, uh, two taped versions of the piano on each side of the stage that I had taped, and then I was in the center with the piano. So we had actually three pianos playing the, the composition. So it was kind of cool. It came out real well actually. That's great. Anyways, so so you got your own, you got a blind dates uh, lineup happening in San Diego, but you've done a lot of work with pickup bands, right? Well, you know, recently I've been trying not to, you know, I'd rather, uh, you know, even though it's been working out in a sense, but I've been mostly doing work now with, uh, depending on like when I went to Europe a few times, so you. Uh, there's a band in Austin, Texas that was a Gary Wilson tribute band that was going before I met them. And then we hooked up together, and so I used them on numerous tours, and because they real, they, they captured the album and stuff real, they, they get the real, so it sounds exactly like the albums and stuff. Yeah. But anyway, they're real good at it, and they're from Austin, and uh, they're called Cindy but on, the, on the side. But. <laughs> they're anyway, called C- Cindy or Sandy? But, and then the bands I've done, because I, I do a lot of work down in L.A. and stuff now on the West Coast here. And um, 
So I use a band from San Diego a lot now, but, you know, it's been working out real well. We've been doing a lot of shows, like with Black Lips and Aerial Pink, and it goes on and on. And oh, on wow. Other people. And, uh, yeah, you've, so you've also got a regular gig uh, just playing piano uh, at a club, right? Like more of a jazz thing? Is that, yeah, is yeah, that still know, a I, thing? Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, I'm going to rehearse with them tomorrow. we got something coming up on Tuesday, but um, a show on Tuesday. But, yeah, I've been with this guy for since 1985 or something. So. He's like a singer, but his whole music is, you know, he's like Sinatra and Johnny Mathis and Matt King Cole. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I'm just kind of a side man. It's kind of, you know, I thought about it in all my years. It's kind of like therapy. I, 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 there's the two sides. So the side that I play with Donnie knows nothing about my original music. They're like restaurants, country club people, you know, and. So it works out great. So I can, yeah, play Gershwin. You know, we play, you know, was, you know, the great American songbook. Let's say, and then I can go from that extreme to Gary Wilson on the other side of the, uh, the border. So it keeps me balanced. And, you know, I've been doing that since I've been a, you know, when I was young, you only had to be 18 to play in bars and to drink. And, you know, when I was a kid. So, so as soon as I got out of high school, I started playing, you know, I was playing with Peggy Lee's piano player and got in with these professional guys that were, you know, more sophisticated jazz pop. But anyways. And, and your well, dad was a singer, right? Well, he's a string bass player. Okay. You know, he worked in IBM in the daytime and then he played in, a, he had a good gig for about 30 years, a hotel with a quartet. So he was like playing stand-up bass, so. I was born into playing music, you know, and then all the Wilson family had to play an instrument coming from, you know, grammar school on work, you know, be a flute. You know, I was playing cello and bass and throughout my school years and my dad being, you know, playing four nights a week in this hotel, you know. So it became just normal, and, and then when I was young, this was even before the Beatles. You know, I was into Dion and the Belmonts and Bobby Rydell. Yeah, early Tate. rock. Yeah, yeah, these top guys, and you know, I'm still like in fourth grade and stuff. And my mom would curl my hair to look like Dion, or you know, one of those Frankie Avalon looks. And so I kind of wanted to be a teen idol when I was, you know, ten years old, or you know, eleven, and. Um, and the Beatles came out, and I said, nah, you know, I still stuck with Dion, but then I became a, a Beatles fan, and then I went to see the Beatles in New York at Shea Stadium and got to see them, and then got caught up in that whole uh, Beatlemania, Beatle band, so, you know, by the time I hit seventh grade, you know, I was already playing in a rock and roll band, and you know, doing it up, you know, good, it was a good band, actually. You've heard of that one release that Cleopatra put out. That actually, it was a record I made in 1967. My first rock band, really, called Lord Fuzz. Yeah, Lord and, Fuzz. Yeah, and this was like during the height of, like I said, 1967 or something. People consider it like it was one of the great years in rock. You know, you had Jimi Hendrix, you had all these bands coming left and right. And we were good, you know, here's these young kids, I was thinking about how uh, the hell that we even 
I was playing four feet of organ at the time when I was thinking how to. And I wasn't sitting down either, so I don't know how the hell I was standing up. I was, you know, you think about a 12 or a 13 year old kid, pretty small. But anyway, we were pretty good. I mean, we could actually compete with a lot of the big bands that were, you know, like we opened for 1910 Fruit Gum Company, and you know, we go against people that were 21 years old, and here we are, like 13 and 12. And, but we had a chemistry. It was like a bunch of Italian kids in the neighborhood. You know, that's why I always say they talk about garage bands now. Back in the 60s, 67, 68, 69, I mean, uh, every block had a band playing in their garage, you know, trying to pick the Beatles and you know, the Rolling Stones and, the, you know, that whole psychedelic music was just going rampant at that point. Yeah, well, when when did Gary Wilson, the character, come about? The the Gary Wilson on stage with all the flour well, you know, that and was eggs a, and lipstick and everything. That, that was a slow, that all happened slowly, you know. Like I said, I started playing in rock because I was playing symphonic music in school and going into seventh, eighth, and onward. And so I started getting into... John Cage music, experimental music, experimental art. I was a big fan of Robert Rauschenberg, so I got into my painting time when I was doing paintings and stuff. But I was still, I would sometimes go see a John Cage performance somewhere, you know, I would often go to New York City with shows and stuff. And, but I was left a little empty. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have Fabian or Frankie Avalon let's say Tony Bennett with a bucket of flour poured over his head in front of a cat, <laughs> in front of a, a John Cage performance, you know, something to add a little, is it, sometimes those shows would leave you a little without a, a personality put into it when it's avant-garde. So let's put a teen idol, you know, in the midst of a John Cage show. And I think that's kind of slowly what's been happening in some ways with me, because I used to do like totally, experimental stuff that would be covered with flour and hay and everything else you could possibly think of on stage and and then I started wanting to incorporate music and then I was trying to still find myself with the music and that took me it took me a while because I released two records even before I hit where I felt it was Gary Wilson you know where I could say yes this is Gary Wilson and that was basically when you think you really know me came out though it started, you can hear the change during the, the, the songs called uh, the, 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 I Want to Take You on a Sea Cruise, and Chrome Lover mm-hmm. was right before it turned into You Think You Really Know Me. So I had made the, that's when it became the change. Let's, let's call it the change. <laughs> and that's when I became where all of a sudden, and then you think you really know me came out and that's even a long story I submitted stuff to a, a producer up in Woodstock and then he brought, he turned me on to uh, another guy named Robbie Dupree who had a bunch of hits in the 70s and he was going to produce me so he brought me to Woodstock up to Bearsville Studios so that's, that leads into another story Todd Rungdon you familiar with him Todd Todd, Todd Rungdon Todd Rungdon yeah 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 but anyways, yeah, he used to run Bearsville Studios for a while. And anyways, I ran into, we opened for him, actually. He's on Cleopatra, too. But, yeah. So I says, hey, 
I says, hey, do you remember me in 19... Oh, he wasn't my engineer at the time, but I, I was there like in 1975, I think. And I said, yeah, uh, Bearsville. I said, he was on Bearsville Records, too, for a while. And, and, and that's an interesting studio. Oh, man, that was the best studio. Because I usually don't go to studios. I do my own recording, but... Well, this was a fantastic. It was built by, uh, uh, gosh, I can't remember the name, Jerry Grossman or something. He was the manager, Bob Dylan and Janis Joplin, all these really big-time people. And it was like a state-of-the-art studio in the middle of the woods in Woodstock. And anyways, that was a great studio. And we caught four tracks there, actually, before I self-released the album in 77. But I had done this recording in four tracks, and then we just never finished it. So I said, well, I'll just go back home and do my own, you know. So then it turned into my album, where you think you really know me. And then that's when I felt I could be happy to put my name on it. <laughs> you know, actually, that's true. You know, I, it's sometimes I battle that, you know, it has to reach a certain thing with me for so I can say this is Gary Wilson now. I really like how you sing of Gary Wilson like as a narrator. <laughs> like you narrate Gary's story. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. well, I'm glad you like that. Yeah. I, uh, just the way it comes out, I guess, I'm not sure how to describe it. But it's... <clears throat> uh, um, are there... There's, I took a tally this morning and um, laid out a bunch of the women's names that you sing about. And uh, I came up with a list that had uh, Linda and Mary coming up. Linda with uh, seven songs where her name's in the title. Mary's got six. Yeah, yeah. And then we're down Linda. to... Who, who, who are on. Linda and Mary? Well, both my girlfriends at a time, but I'll tell you who's my first. Somebody just asked me this not too long ago. They said, well, who's Lou Jean? Lou Jean. Lou Jean's been on a couple of my writer songs, too. Lou Jean. Now, Lou Jean was the first girl I ever kissed. I think I was in seventh grade or eighth grade. And she was actually kind of my first introduction to Fina. I was, you know, switching over from being a boy now I'm turning into a young little kid, you know, and, and she was the first girl that, you know, I think I was in seventh grade or eighth grade probably, because she used to come to see Lord Clark, I remember, so she was from Johnson City, which was about 10 miles from Endicott, New York. But yeah, yeah, Luigi and Linda, but then Linda was my more, one of the girls I really had a crush on, I remember. I thought she liked me, and, and, and you know, we were kind of a thing. She used to come see Lord Fuzz a lot, too, during that time. And, and anyway, she caused me a lot of heartbreak, actually. I remember during my young, you know, going into junior high, you know, junior high, going into high school and stuff, those lonely summers, you know, where you, you want to see her walking in the public park behind our house or something, and, you know, where the kids used to come play, and, kind of a turmoil but the great news about that I don't know if it's great news but I, you know I did talk to Linda a few years ago and so sometimes we stay in contact you know because she definitely knew I had songs about her right 
Yeah. So all of a sudden it dawned on her, you know, when all the, you know, you know, kind of during my whole resurrection of stuff, you know, where she's mentioned so many times. But yeah, Linda was probably the one that I was the most serious about for a few years there where I, like I say, you know, it was during those times and, you know, I'm sad times. I remember a lot of just, you know, because I guess she didn't like me what I thought she did or something in that nature. Young kids, right? Love. Love is a many splendid thing. Great movie if you ever catch that one. Let me see what's the name of that one. I think that's the name of it. That, that sounds right. Sandra D and Troy Donahue. I think it's... Well, forget that now. I'm going into another world. Anyways, yeah, okay. And then Mary and Linda. Mary becoming more probably when I came out to San Diego. Uh, used to many a times out here, even though uh, there were Marys in my hometown of Endicott, you know, that's why a lot of the names are Endicott. I had a lot of the cool kids going, what kind of names are those, you know? <laughs> I'm thinking, then I started thinking, geez, I had to start making an album where I go back to like the 1800s where the names were familiar with girls back then, you know, uh, Clara, uh, you know, go on and on. But anyways, it's, I don't know if that answered your question. But. Oh, yeah. I think that, you know, that sheds some light. It's just people from your life that made a big impact. And uh, it, it really it really shines through. Um, you, you've been uh, taking some uh, different turns on your subject matter lately. I mean, we, we got the first Gary Wilson Christmas album recently yeah, and we got yeah, the yeah. outer space record yeah yeah a lot of that kind of like i must have got a, a spurt of uh spurt of creativity came out or something when i kind of moved over to cleopatra records uh, when that all came about my last five or six releases were on cleopatra but they've been kind of good to me it's like you know if you check you know you check out you know they got quite a they released quite a, quite a, quite a, quite a, quite a, you know. Matter of fact, we did a good party. That's a good story. We were a uh, Christmas party for Cleopatra this, this last Christmas up in, uh, it was at the Viper Room in Hollywood, right? Sure. And there's, who was, uh, we opened right before, there was like four or five bands from Cleopatra Records. And who was there but uh, Shatner oh, wow. and... And the Hoff from Knight Rider. So both of those guys are both there, you know, at my show there. And I got to sit with Shatner for a while. And you know, he sat right next to the stage there. Oh. Anyway, so, you know, yeah, that was fun there that we did a show. And there's Shatner and the Hoff. And you know, like, you know, sitting next to me there. You know. But anyways, now that was a fun night. But that's, you know, part of Cleopatra Records, I guess, though, so, like I said, they've been pretty, you know, and they kind of propositioned me with the Christmas album, you know. I, I feel like that night just ties it together, the Shatner and the Christmas, and then you go to yeah, Christmas yeah, in space. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great, actually. It was a cool night. It was, it was a, our keyboard player, you know, I got to smash his keyboard. He likes to do that periodically oh, in the show. Shatner's right next to us, you know, and like I say, we had a picture, a couple pictures taken with him. 
anyways, it was cool. You know, and they both have albums, I guess, on Cleopatra, too. So they were at the party. And, you know, Is there so. uh, any footage of this uh, piano smashing happening? Which, what did you ask me? Oh, is there is there any footage of this piano smashing uh, during this party? I believe there is. Oh, uh, I think it's on YouTube actually. Uh, I think somebody taped the whole show. I believe from there. From the, uh, it'd probably be Gary Wilson at the the Viper Room. <laughs> Viper Room, when you might find something. I know what I'm doing I think, tonight. I think I was doing like. Uh, Smash it. We, we do like uh, Gary Salinda kissing Frank Roma, but a lot of times during the show, I'll accuse one of the blind dates instead of Frank Roma of kissing Linda. So then it becomes a fight between us, and then it'll, you know, if he has a keyboard, he'll smash it. And I actually did that. Uh, we did a record release show last month up in Hollywood there. <clears throat> I got to smash one of my Yamaha keyboards. I got a couple of them here. Uh, anyway, so as I like to do that, I always wanted to like pick my string bass and throw it into a drum set, but I just never had the finances to probably pull that one off. Bass solo. I know you've talked about Frank Roma and that he's a friend, but he sounds like kind of a tramp. <laughs> Frank goes back. We were good friends since eighth grade, I guess. He's, he's always been with me on all my uh, endeavors since we were young kids. You know, my things with my original bands, he was always there. He was my sax player, clarinet player, plus he made films. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so he, he made, he made all actually, those fun films from uh, back in the day with you. Yeah, yeah, you see him on the Gary Wilson documentary that they put on. They had, like, extras, so they got Frank films in there. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so he used to, be, he got really into that, and, you know, he was, you know, he, he worked at Roma's Bakery, Frank Roma, so he would always, uh, so he had extra money, so he would save, and he'd buy, like, a Bolex 16 millimeter, you know, can, movie camera, and, he, you know, so he shot a lot of good footage, and, but, yeah, so Frank and I go way back, and, you know, Frank was always, you know, yeah. Matter of fact, we still, I just talked to him about a week ago. He's in Endicott still. He still lives in Endicott. He became like the janitor maintenance guy at the high school we went to. So Frank, I always said, had a pretty good deal going. You know, he, he stayed in Endicott. He never, he, he went to Berkeley School of Music for a little bit in Boston there with another one of the blind dates back then, but had a bad time there. And then, you know, just stayed in Endicott. But, you know, he worked out well. You know, I always thought, you know, I'd tell my girlfriend, I said he'd worked out well, and she thought it was sad or something, Frank, in the old high school that he went to, you know, all his years. But anyway, so Frank and I go back. As a matter of fact, we did a few shows where I brought Frank back, you know, playing saxophone back up in New York City and Toronto or something. We did a few shows where I brought the original Blind Dates, which was Frank Roma. Carmen Petrino, Vince Rossi, these are all the... And it mashed into these other guys from West Endicott who, you know, became the guys who put out In the Midnight Hour, and uh, those were the West Endicott boys, uh, you know, and it uh, became a good mashup. But yeah, oh, Frank, I want to... Matter of fact, if you listen to the introduction of King of Endicott, was uh, that first track, 
that's Frank Roma on, on saxophone. I love so that playing too. Yeah, that's old Frank. So he was always, and here's a good story that not many people know. Frank and I, I was still in high school, so I, I remember I had to borrow my brother's ID. But Captain Beefheart was playing in Ithaca, New York. All right. And you know, it was very rare to see him at the time. And but Frank Romo, he was, you know, a year or two older than me, so he was able to drive. He probably, I might have been in. 11th grade or something, and he might have been out 12th or, I don't know, he was, like I say, a couple of years older. Anyway, so we drove up to Ithaca, which wasn't far from Endicott, and uh, so we get into the, to the, we got inside the venue, and there's nobody there, right? We got there early, and in walks Captain Beefheart with his manager, you know, so I had a demo tape just in case of this, this moment. And Frank Roma, who was our saxophone player, always carried extra reeds for his sax. I always had them in the pocket. So it ended up, we ended up, Beefheart walked in with his manager, and there's Frank Roma and I, so we went up to him, and you know, for about a half hour we talked to him, and I gave him my demo, Captain Beefheart, and, and Frank Roma helped him put a reed on. Frank had an extra reed, and Beefheart needed, needed one or something, and... But anyways, yeah, I was, like I said, I was still searching for Gary Wilson, who was Gary Wilson at the time, because you're talking now, I still, yeah, I'm in high school, so I was still not even out of high school, so I hadn't even released another Galaxy or Dreams and those songs. But yeah, yeah, I got to see him three times, I believe, before that Well, speaking so of Beefheart, like, Gary, I also want to ask you about uh, Burgers. I Which one? About hamburgers. I understand you're a hamburger connoisseur. Oh, yeah, but it's got to be, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I had one of the best ones I always talk about in Brooklyn. I don't even know where it was, but it was just fantastic. But anyway, yeah, yeah, I, I make my own, actually, every night. You know, that's kind of my ritual, but... um. Yeah, pretty much every night. I, I, I have a strange... Uh, yeah, there isn't much to it. You know, I use, I get, you know, usually like ground sirloin or something fairly lean, even though I, I always kind of get in arguments with guys about burgers because they're always going 80, 20 or, you know, even less sometimes. And I'm always going, you know, fat to the. And I always go, hey, but geez, you ever look at your pan after you do an 80 by 20? I mean, the whole pan is like all this oil and grease, really, you know. So even just just turning it from ground sirloin, which is usually ninety ten, makes a big difference with that whole thing. Oh, you know, I've had really good hammers. I mean, I I, I always tell people when I went to Europe, and the few times I did go to Europe, I, McDonald's saved me there. Actually, I was so happy to see a McDonald's. I remember, when, and we that was like the trips we did in Europe were just we had like a professional driver. So we went from everywhere you can imagine. We went all over driving through Europe, basically. And then you see those golden archers, I remember. And, you know, some of the guys in the band, the Blind Dates at that time, uh, they were like vegetarians, so they never liked that places. But I tell you. But anyway, so I could enjoy even one of those, you know. Yeah, but usually golden archers are watching myself. over you. Yeah, I, I say that. I'm serious about that, too. I, I We did a festival, I remember, in Poland, and we just got to Poland or something. And 
my blind dates abandon me. I usually stay in my own room, so I don't know where the hell they go there. So I get up from taking a nap after the long plane trip or something, and it's like nine or something at night, and I go, where the hell are these guys? So I haven't eaten now for the whole night or something, and so I go downstairs, and I, I talk to the lady at Poland, and she's going, oh, there's a McDonald's about three miles up the highway there. There's a path along the highway, right? So here it is, like, dark. So I said, wow, geez, i got to go up there. I'm kind of mad because everybody abandoned me now, and I'm left alone, so I'm going to walk to McDonald's. She said I could. So all of a sudden, the path along the road starts weaving inside the woods. All of a sudden, it gets, like, dark and scary. So then all of a sudden, you see all these, like, Russian dilapidated buildings in the middle of the woods. It's like dark, and then it starts to rain a little bit on top of it, and I'm going, holy mackerel, nobody find me here, you know, the old bombed out Russian left buildings that they just left there or something, you know. And, but yeah, so, but I did finally get to McDonald's, finally the band, because I turned around finally, I said, Jesus, I'm going to get killed, here. nobody would find me. And, and then we ended up taking a cab or something when I got back to the hotel with the blind date. It all worked out. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I, 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 and my big thing is I don't like to put a lot of stuff on a hamburger. That's what I wanted to know. If I was going to go buy you a burger and I... What would I like? Yeah. Uh, what, just, what do I grab? Just the, cheese, just the cheese, the meat, and the bun. No sauce? Nothing? No, 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 no. And, and that was like what happened as a kid, too. I, I used to put ketchup on my hamburgers. Me too. And then I kept kept doing less and less to where I only put a dot in the center. Towards, I'm still like in high school or junior high. And then I finally got to a point where I'm going, why am I even putting this dot on there? And then I finally decided uh, just the cheese, the meat, and the bun. So, yeah, if you buy me a burger, that's what I'd like to uh, so when I make mine, I just, you know, use salt and pepper, and that's it. You know, I just yeah, a purist. And cheese. And good. But the secret, too, is you got to have a good roll. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can get by with bread, or you can get by with, you know. The, but I found if, the bread, if, the, if you got a really nice roll, or it makes a big difference. You like you know a I mean? sesame seed guy or a Kaiser guy? Yeah, or anything that you like, something that's not too overcooked roll, I find, too, you know, when it's, when it's kind of too dark, the roll in it. I like it kind of where it's got a little bit of uh, maybe chew to the roll. But anyways, yeah, I, I sometimes I'll, I'll have to put two rolls on top of each other just because I don't want that whole, because I don't, my meat. My, I just made one last night. I was, I was talking to my guitar player actually today about it. I said, geez, I don't know what happened last night. I made one, and it tasted like the restaurant type, you know, where you know you can sometimes get in a steakhouse that taste, you know. And I talked to my geez, sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. But anyways, that's there. You go. There's my hamburger story. All right. Well, unless anybody else had any specific questions, I think we uh, there's just one more question that is on everyone's mind, and that is, Gary, are you single? Yes. Okay. Well, we have a hell of a man here in San Diego. Do you want people to try to find you? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in the park, Balboa Park, I guess, tonight. Oh, hey, all right. All right. Well, okay. 
man, it's it's just so great to talk to you and um, you know, yeah, yeah. blowing the lid off the myth, but not too much. We're we we love well, you, oh. and I hope you keep doing what you do. No, oh, well, thank you, and tell the people in the room with you that it was good that they all came, and hopefully I'll get up to Olympia. You know, somebody's talking about us. Uh, a band from Portland that once that I played a couple shows with recently with uh, what's his name Bryson Cohn right Bryson Cohn he wants to come up from you know do a show in Seattle and Portland and come all the way down the coast because they're from Portland I guess so but anyway so you never know we may be in open what? we may be at Olympia soon I hope okay. you come back Take and care. let's hear it for Gary here Nice talking to you, Gary. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. joy it was to talk to the illustrious Gary Wilson. That was the first time on this show where we actually got to interview the subject of the episode, and I'm pleased to say we'll be doing some more of that on the upcoming episodes this season. I wanted to let y'all know that I ordered some one-inch badges and some stickers to help spread the word about this program via word of mouth. Both feature the logo that was made by Bella Dalton that you see on your podcatcher. If you'd like one, just leave me a review on iTunes and email about it. The email address is lowprofilemarkley at gmail.com. I'll be happy to send them your way. I might ask for help with shipping internationally, but if it's in the USA, I have a book of stamps and it's no big deal. I've also got a Patreon page set up if you want to support the podcast by sending me a couple bucks a month. That can be found at patreon.com slash lowprofile. There's going to be a bonus episode released next week about the band Old Time Religion. They're going on a national tour and they have a new self-released EP available, their first release in over a decade. And it's quite an experience if you can make it out to one of their shows. Thanks to the engineer of this program, Miles Rosati. And thanks to my panel for this episode, Leela Smith, Andrew Ebright, and Timothy and Susan Grisham. Check out their magazine, The Ton, at thetonmag.com. Catch you next time.